Hi, and welcome to another episode of Shining in the Gray. This is your host, Vanessa Rivera. On today's episode, I'm going to introduce you to my friend Rose Martin. She is a community psychologist, and I'll be honest, until we recorded this episode, I wasn't really sure what that meant, so thankfully she clarifies, so you're welcome. Rose is a dynamic speaker and is extremely knowledgeable when it comes to family, parenting, and relationships. She has been working in this field for well over a decade and is absolutely a joy to talk to. Not only that, but her zest for life and the joy she gets out of teaching and helping others to grow is absolutely infectious. So if you are in a relationship, if you are married, grab a notebook. You're going to want to jot down some of these morsels of wisdom that she drops on us today because there's a ton of them, I have to be honest. And finally, can I ask you guys a favor? I've never done this before, but wherever you're listening to this podcast, would you mind lying and giving it five stars? I would really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Enjoy the episode. I'm sort of glad about the quarantine so that we could connect and finally do a podcast together. True story. (laughs) True story. We originally had said, and we're still going to do it on parenting. Yeah. We're going to do our, our marriage. So Tell me your background for people who okay. don't already know uh, Mrs. Rose Martin. Yeah. So I am a community psychologist and community psychology, I kind of explain it to people where it's, it's like traditional therapy in a sense where we look at the individual, uh, we help them navigate life issues, develop social emotional skills and tools and techniques. But at the same time, we, we really pay attention to culture. So we look at not just the individual themselves and their problems as an isolated event, but we also look at their access to education historically, their religion or their culture and how that impacts their life for good or or for maybe bad. Mm -hmm. We look at the society that they're in, their neighborhoods. We look at poverty, crime, education, or drug abuse, like how all of that stuff kind of ties into an individual. And so we address issues kind of from an ecological and a systemic level that makes any sense. I'm talking to you and say you're coming to me because you are having, you know, bouts of anxiety. Mm -hmm. So instead of just, okay, well, maybe we can work on X, Y, and Z. I tell them, okay, well, tell me about your level of education and Mm -hmm. what else is going on in your life and where were you born and what's your background and tell me about your family dynamic and do you feel safe in your neighborhood? And so it's just kind of a broader way to approach people and sometimes the conflict that they find themselves in. So that's one aspect of what I do. And it kind of helps me broaden my therapeutic process. But for the last, mm, since 2008, I want to say, 2007, I also facilitate psychoed groups with uh, families and with couples. And then I also do it with parents. And the purpose of those groups is really to come together as a collective body 
-hmm. and kind of communicate, challenge ourselves. And it's, I, I say that it's less like it's therapeutic, but it's more psychoeducational because I kind of take people on a journey where they kind of explore themselves, but in a safe group setting. And that's really what I love doing. I can only imagine that you'd be busier than ever once all of this pandemic is over. I think a lot of people right now are focused on survival. Yes. And I think that's why even with some of my clients now, I see like there's, a, I, I was sharing with you earlier, like a lot of heightened sense of emotional or verbal abuse or even domestic violence, sadly, because they're just stuck on survival. So they're not thinking consciously. There's no higher levels of thought, you know, like mm -hmm. the prefrontal lobes are not yes. at work right now. They're thinking about how do I pay my bills? How do I feed yes. my kids? How do I still experience community? So right now, you know, I don't, you know, maybe, I don't know. I think the people that come to my groups, usually it's not that they're out of survival and they're thinking more consciously about their relationships and how to improve them, if that makes any sense. Yes. So the people who go to the groups are typically more growth oriented yes. rather than uh, things are falling apart. And now we need to figure out how to put these puzzle pieces together. Yes. Got it. And that's kind yes. of where we are as a collective right now. Is yeah. Someone just threw the box of puzzle pieces all over the floor. Nice times. And we're trying to put it all together. When we're talking about marriages in the context now of quarantine and mm -hmm. survival, Mm -hmm. How does a marriage survive a mm -hmm. quarantine when you have this really new dynamic of an entire family mm -hmm. being safe at home, but really stuck at home mm -hmm. uh, all together 24-7 with all of the responsibilities that mm -hmm. go along with day-to-day -day life? And maybe mm -hmm. some, you know, some people are working from home, some are unemployed, and that adds mm -hmm. another dimension of stress. Mm -hmm. What happens to a marriage in general when it is thrust into a completely and utterly new environment, and that environment is basically a pressure cooker? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. There's two points about that that I really want to highlight that I think is important. The first thing is, Believe it or not, we are the main character in our lives, in our stories, mm -hmm. right? And so even when we talk about a marriage, we're really talking about two individuals, right? Mm -hmm. And so at the core, at the bedrock of everything is the individual self, right? The self-love, taking care of and nurturing yourself. So it sounds almost counterintuitive, but I would say the first thing is to make sure that we are taking responsibility for ourselves as people mm -hmm. and that we are okay. Yes. And I challenge my parents. And just to clarify, you're not talking about your parents. You're talking about parents that you I have therapy sessions with. Yes, yes, yes. I'm sorry. <laughs> I call them my parents. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. I work, again, primarily with families. <laughs> And parents, so not my own parents, but the parents that I work with, my clients. I'll, I'll, I'll say my clients. And so I'll say, how about this? Just five minutes a day. Find five minutes for seven days. And when I see you next week, same time, same place, tell me if that's made a difference in your life. Mm -hmm. Five minutes. Yep. And 
like I said, I've been doing this since 2018, so 12 years. They tell me each and every time, oh my God, five minutes made a difference. And not only that, but by making the time for five minutes, I was able to turn it into 15 or 20. And I don't even know how that happened, but yes. it just did. And you feel like a different person. Yeah, absolutely. When talking about that pressure cooker situation for a marriage, you'd mentioned that there were two things. One yes, is self-care yes. and what yeah. is the other that we should be paying attention to? So we have to plan for romance to happen. I know, again, it sounds so, I guess, Are we scheduling sex that? for Tuesday at 3 p.m.? No. Because, okay. <laughs> okay, so this is a thing. This is We this have is to distinguish, right, between sex right. and romance. Right, right. And here's the thing, too, and I tell this to my husband. If we talk about sex, we're not going to have it. Yep. If we don't and we pursue romance or intimacy between you and I, if we're being mm -hmm. real, I know there's only two of us right now, <laughs> but it's going to happen, right? Yeah. Like if you put it on the table, there's so much external pressure and I'm not, I know like, you know, this is where maybe some colleagues will disagree or other therapeutic modalities, uh, especially like rela relationship ones will say schedule that. But I say take it off the table because that external pressure is going to actualize itself eternally. I mean, internally. Do you know yes. what I mean? And can I be a little R here or no? Always. Like, what's the audience? Okay. I always, you know, <laughs> you know, You're I You're talking to me. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm don't not know. any different know. here than I am right, getting right, coffee. Right. Well, I just joke and I mean this in the, uh, I don't know, politest way possible, but I'll tell, like, I'll joke with my husband. I'm like, open heart, open vagina. And what I mean by that essentially, right, is that the safer I feel, the more nurtured I feel, the more connected we are, the better, you know, the better our communication and our intimacy than the natural byproduct of that mm -hmm. is a sexual form of intimacy, at least for us. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when my heart is taken care of and my soul is being taken care of, then my vagina comes to serve. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mr. Martin... We know what you got to do to get some. <laughs> oh, yeah. He knows. He knows. He just can't talk. If he says, let's have sex, I'm going to go, ugh. It's so gross. Like, I'm a I just don't, I don't know. Just it, it, it doesn't sound. I know. It takes away the spontaneity, the romance now. But I do want to say what I mean by the scheduling is, is more intentionality, meaning that if you just say, we need to connect, we need to connect, but you don't make time for any connection, mm -hmm. it's not going to happen. It's not just going to, you're not going to wake up and find the time to connect with your spouse. Yeah. So what I tell people is, you know, setting aside at least just one day of the week and not a full day, maybe 30 minutes, maybe an hour where the topic of conversation is just the two of you, where there's mm -hmm. some level of alone time. And the only two rules, you know, that I, that I have for that one is, you know, obviously don't talk about your kids, mm -hmm. right? Just mm -hmm. keep, because even a lot, for a lot of us, when we are talking with talking to our spouse, we're also talking about our kids at the same yeah. time. Yeah. And then the topic of conversation becomes all about our children. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing that I usually say, and that's just to eliminate any pressure is, you know, not to go in with just the expectation of sex. 
-hmm. because especially for a lot of my male clients I've seen, you know, (laughs) the next time they see me after a week or two of date nights, you know, out here like, oh my God, he just wants to like jump into it. Like he thinks Wednesday night at eight o'clock is like sexy time. And that really isn't the goal of it. The goal is really connection because sacred connection, emotional, intimate connection leads to the physical stuff, you know? And now what is, what does connection look like now when you are together all the time? Mm -hmm. Life is so chaotic and maybe you're just even sick and tired of seeing your spouse because it's been 24 seven for the last month, you know? Yeah. Yeah. In what ways can you cultivate connection when you're tired of seeing the person? Absolutely. But that, that's why it goes back to scheduling that time, Uh, right? mm -hmm. Because even though I'm home right now with three kids and my kids are really young. So at this stage in parenting, it's very, physically exhausting, right? Mm -hmm. It's always um, emotionally and mentally draining, but it's physically exhausting because I'm still having to bathe and feed, you know, like spoon feed some of them. So even though, yes, I see my husband all day long, that does not mean that there's any real quality of connection, right? We're just spending time in the same environment, but we're not connecting with each other. And so by scheduling that moment where the goal is connection, the goal is intimacy. And, you know, it's funny because people will say, oh, when I was dating, I used to have more sex or I used, but dating, if you think about it, it's, it's scheduled intimacy, right? It's scheduled connection. Like if I know, okay, when I put the kids to bed tonight, you know, at eight 30 or nine o'clock, I have a date, quote unquote, with my husband. And what does that mean right now? We're not going anywhere, right? That just means maybe we'll sit in the car and we'll listen to our favorite 90s slow jams. Or we'll go for, you know, a brisk walk around our neighborhood. Or we will try out a yoga move together. Uh, One thing that we've been doing a lot lately is just cooking a meal together, making a dessert, having a glass of wine or drinking tea, and just sitting there with each other. There have been times where we've had scheduled dates or scheduled connections, and we literally spend the majority of that time just laying next to each other, honestly. But it's, it's just that intentional weekly connection, if that makes any sense. And it doesn't have to cost any money like before you know pre-quarantine days or whatever mm-hmm. my clients would tell me well I can't afford a babysitter or you know I can't afford to go out to a restaurant and I would say what did you do before kids like how did you initially connect with each other before you had your successful careers or your responsibilities and you know I would say Maybe drive through at Taco Bell is where it's at, you know, maybe making out in the back of your car. It sounds silly, but at one point, that's what you guys used to do. And it was great for your romance. You didn't always have expensive dinners, right? At nice restaurants. Sometimes it was just, you know, going for a walk at the park and eating drive through in your car afterwards. You can be creative and it doesn't have to cost a lot of money. 
And I mean, think about your favorite board games. When, when's the last time you played Monopoly without your kids around? Right. <laughs> right? No, and, and honestly, within the context that we're living, it can break up the monotony of every day blurring into each other because now yes. you know that, oh, wait, it's Thursday. So Thursdays is when the kids go to bed. We right. watch our favorite TV show and talk about right. what we think is going to happen next. Or right. whatever. Right. You know? right. And it'll help break yeah. it up if it's on. Right. Yeah. Because people just think that romance is just going to happen. Do you know what I mean? Like we're yes. just waiting for something to happen and it won't happen unless you create the opportunity for it. Mm -hmm. That's really the point. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Sometimes even I try not to use the word date night, even though, you know, I yes. know everybody knows what I mean, but I think because it has a connotation, an expectation of dinner and a babysitter and yes. you know and it's not that it's just scheduling moments that can be yes. a day it could be an hour of the day you know i had this one uh, couple that i worked with and their scheduled intentional connections is what we call it was a bath every night together every single night they took a bath together mm. At, you know around 10 o'clock that was just their like bedtime ritual and so it doesn't have to just be the quote unquote date night. It could be a it could be, morning yeah. coffee ritual. Mm -hmm. It could be a 10 minute check-in before bedtime, like yes. a 10 minute, Hey, before you roll over or start your show or, you know, hop on Instagram, you know, let's just check in with each other. Mm -hmm. How are you feeling? What's going on? How's your heart? You know, are we list, are you feeling heard or respected? What's the state of our relationship? Yeah. Yeah. No, so it, there huge. doesn't have to be pomp and circumstance. It could literally no. just be intentional connection. Yeah. Daily, weekly, but you got to be intentional about it or it will not happen. I can guarantee you that because there's so many things that are fighting for our time and our attention all day long. Even well, if you are single, there's things fighting for your time and yes. your attention. Yes. Well, I do remember, I, I believe that it was you who, yeah, it was you. We were talking about like making good marriages stronger and you had recommended mm -hmm. the Gottman Institute. Yes. Yes, it was I you. Love, yes. Um, it's G-O-T-T-M-A-N Institute. And you can sign up for emails and they send you these yes. marriage minute emails. And yes. it gives you even talking points and like, and that aren't awkward. And that's mm -hmm. what I appreciate about their suggestions is that they're not awkward conversation uh, starters. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And even if yeah. it's not a conversation starter, it's something for you to read and it inspires conversation, you know? Right. Absolutely. <laughs> I love, I love Dr. John Gottman. I'll be honest with you. One of the things I love about him is that he's a researcher mm -hmm. and you know, a lot of times we inform ourselves based on anecdotal, you know, evidence or stories, but we have to pay attention to the research. And so for me, from an intellectual or like a cerebral perspective, I really appreciate, because I mean, if we want to be real here, I have read, especially a lot of times within religious institutions, yes. I have yeah. read the most toxic yes. marriage advice mm -hmm. that is so just patriarchal and it's just so un harmful and unhealthy yes. for women. Yeah. 
a lot of like toxicity, mm-hmm. a lot. And so, and this is just because, oh, pastor so-and-so decided to write a book about marriage yeah. and none of it is medically informed. None of it is based on research. None of it takes into account any therapeutic modalities or what we know about the brain or connection or human relationships. And so Dr. Gottman is one of them. And then Esther Perel is yes, another she's one. Wonderful. She's wonderful. But you know what's interesting too is, and it kind of goes back to initially the first point that I made. When I work with couples, a lot of times they're kind of presenting their conflict or their issues together. And what I do is I say, again, who's the main character in your story? Yeah is your story. This is about you. So let's actually table some of the issues or the conflict we're having in the marriage and let's work on you individually, mm-hmm. right? To lay, raise your level of self-awareness, increase your own, maybe your own emotional capacity or empathy, recognize your triggers, your family pathology. And then by ensuring that you come to the table as a healthy individual, then that is what ultimately enhances the marriage. Because it's interesting. I was actually telling my husband this earlier, but a lot of my clients, especially because I've been doing these groups for over a decade now, I have the same, once a year, I'll see the same couples, right? They're like, we're here. It's our once a year, you know, relationship crash course. Cause my, my groups are 15 weeks long. They're very, very intense. And imagine there's couples that have been doing this with me for eight years, wow. right? Like I haven't yeah. had anybody do it 12 years, but the longest I've had is eight years. And I tell my husband, these aren't uneducated people. These are educated professionals, doctors, therapists themselves, attorneys, teachers, you know, all, I mean, every level of society, right? And these are people that usually are very well read. They're familiar with Gottman's research, right? They've read every marriage book that there is. They've read books on communication, but it's not so much just reading. It's doing the work, right? It's a level of self-awareness and cognizance and understanding your own family history, your own family pathology, whether you are repeating or repairing unhealthy paradigms, whether your needs are being met, what your level of communication is, how you are expressing your own emotions. It's the work that you have to do internally that really makes a shift in any relationship, whether it be marriage, or parenting. It's not just the reading. Yeah. And now all of these things that that you're talking about, past family issues, I'm sure including like family trauma, communication skills, all this stuff. Is this the stuff that someone who's considering marriage needs to start paying attention to? How do you get to that point where you say, okay, I'm ready for marriage. He or she is ready for marriage or they are ready for marriage. And, and finally are able to take that step towards that, that permanent mm-hmm. commitment. How do, how do you mm-hmm. know? To be honest. Want, who might want to know. Right. I'll, I will be honest with you, though. And I know, I know we're talking about marriage today and we're talking about relationships. But just in being the most evolved 
version of yourself and just being a human being and just showing up to this world every single day. And whether you are a student or an employee or a boss, whatever your relationships look like, because we all have a relationship to something, right? And we have many of them. You owe it to yourself. And not because I tell this to my clients, it's not that I want to say you need therapy, but you owe it to yourself and you deserve it because we all deserve freedom. We all deserve to live healthy, you know, peaceful lives, right? It's inherent. And so even though I know we're talking about relationships, I would say to anybody listening, but this is an avenue we should always want to approach, whether or not we're ready for marriage, whether or not that's even on our radar. And I'll tell you why it's really important too. So in family pathology or family psychology, we say we have an option and we're, we're constantly making this choice every single day. We either repeat family pathology or we repair it, but we're making one choice or the other, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. And so if you're not actively or intentionally repairing mm-hmm. family pathology, unhealthy, you know, emotional systems or behavior, you are repeating it. You are. Yes. And, and you're not just by ignoring it, you're repeating it. Correct. (laughs) And you have to be self-aware enough to realize that your family even has pathology to begin with, no matter how healthy it might be. There's always something there that needs to be tweaked and in order to move forward in a more healthy way. And And that's the beauty mm -hmm. of being on this planet, the beauty of our own evolution, right? It's such a beautiful thing to grow. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think of one of the parenting modalities I teach is called nurturing parenting. And I tell the parents, when, I, when you think of nurturing, you think of feeding a plant, right? You think of giving it water and sunlight and sustenance. And that plant, you know, is thriving because of its growth, right? So if we are not sustaining ourselves, if we are not growing, then we are not thriving either. Yeah. And that's part of our journey on this planet. I really do. When people talk about purpose, I know sometimes they talk about like career and stuff. But for me, purpose is about knowing yourself and living authentically. Like, so for instance, for me, if you say, Rose, like, what's your purpose? I'm going to say it's to be the most evolved form of Rose that I can be. And that's it. Yeah. Doesn't matter, doesn't matter whether I'm married, whether I'm single, whether I have three kids or 10 kids or no kids. It doesn't matter whether I work at McDonald's or on my, my second PhD. That has nothing to do. Those are roles. That's yeah. how I engage the world. Yeah. But my purpose is found in my own identity. Mm-hmm. And the closer I am to my own evolution, the closer I am to living my purpose. Yeah. And it's part of, you know, our growth on this planet. I think it's part of why we are here. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I love, I love right now the gardening metaphor, because I don't know if you've been noticing on my Insta, I have started a garden. It's a messy garden, but a garden nonetheless. Yes. And I think that part of growth, because growth, before I really dove into a few years ago, you know, personal growth and inner work and all of that stuff, growth to me sounded like, something pretty 
sterile. You know, it mm-hmm. sounded like, oh, okay, a plant grows, whatever, you know, mm-hmm. and we are, we're going to grow, we're going to be more honest, I'm going to be more, uh, have more integrity, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. And all those things are, in fact, byproducts of growth. But mm-hmm. I think that what I was missing before I understood really what growth and inner work was, was understanding that growth is having the courage to shed and to prove mm-hmm. yes. things about yes. ourselves yes. that the reality is other people see and annoys the living daylights out of them, but we don't see it for ourselves because they've just mm-hmm. become these little dead leaves on us that we're just so used to. Yes, 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 absolutely. And I think your, your garden, like the garden metaphor, I think it's mm-hmm. so perfect for what growth looks like it's not always linear right like sometimes it it, and it's it's a process you mentioned sometimes you have to pull weeds out you have to prune you have to scale back you have to cut you have to trim you know sometimes even within your own gardening you'll see that there are seasons where your plants or your herbs or your flowers thrive and there's seasons where they shed and there's, you know, death or brown, you know, it's, yes. it's just this idea that it's an ever evolving, mm-hmm. ever changing. Sometimes it's really beautiful and fragrant and it's bright and colorful. And sometimes growth is painful yeah. and hard and dirty and weedy. I don't know if that's yeah. whatever, <laughs> but you know, it looks like those things right and sometimes it's a it's a chaotic mess and sometimes growth is a manicured garden Mm -hmm. but it's about the courage like you said honestly that's what it's really about at the end of the day just the courage to be self-aware yeah within that self-awareness aspect of individual self-awareness one of the questions I had was pertaining to gender roles within marriage And struggling with someone who has a very defined gender role and they don't want to stray from what they feel that gender role is in order to reach out and assist or be a part of anything outside of what they consider the norm. How do you start working together towards redefining what our roles are within our marriage? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. It's, um, I'm going to take a little bit like of a, a layered kind of ecological approach to this because it's, there's many, this is a little multifaceted. Yeah. I'll and I feel like bad- it goes back to that family pathology. And- yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But, but there's also an aspect of it where, you know, I always tell a lot of times, especially when I work with clients, like, we're wired. We want to know what's right or what's wrong, right? Yes. Like, and my role in the therapeutic setting is to help you discover your own truth, right? Mm-hmm. So really, I, I really stray away from any, any right or wrong. I don't assign those values to things, right? Mm-hmm. So you might be saying, for instance, traditional roles are toxic for me. And I could talk to somebody else who says traditional roles are important to our marriage and they really help us work. And this is where 
my field, my graduate level work, my research work, work in community psychology may differ from a lot of traditional psychology. Because in community psychology, I would say, well, let's look at, you know, you, you know, let's, I know like we could see certain things that's toxic or wrong, but we also have to honor your beliefs, your culture, your own opinions about the matter. Does that make any sense? Absolutely. So here's a, but here's the bad news about this. And I, and I dealt with this a lot in my practice in particular. At the end of the day, control is an illusion, right? Mm -hmm. So People come to me all the time with, you know, like, how do I fix this about my spouse or he's too traditional or whatever. And I say, you can't. The mm -hmm. only thing you can fix, the only person you have any control, any autonomy over is yourself, right? Mm -hmm. So one is if your spouse or your partner doesn't see this as anything that's wrong or toxic or unhealthy, then the real focus is how is this disturbing your peace? What can we discover and uncover within yourself? But that's, but that's one aspect to it, right? So sure. let's say I'm like, I'm giving you a few different examples. So let's say you have a partner that's kind of, open right to maybe challenging some more traditional roles but again I'm even using the word traditional because tradition varies by family right, right. like in my family I don't know why but before bed my mom would go and she would check all the windows lock all the doors and you know make sure the dogs were in their area right mm -hmm. I might talk to you and you say, well, traditionally in my family, no, that's what my husband does. My husband's the one that checks all the doors and locks mm -hmm. the doors and, you know, uh, locks, you know, make sure the windows are closed and make sure like he sets up the house right before bedtime or in my household, what's traditional for us, my husband does the laundry. Why? Mm -hmm. He's been doing the laundry. All the men in his family did the laundry. As soon mm -hmm. as they turned 12, they were responsible for their own laundry. Mm -hmm. And so it's really not so much about what society may define as traditional mm. or cultured. It's more about coming together and figuring out what works for you both and why it works that way and why it doesn't. And I'll tell you, language is really important because for instance, let's say I've worked with husbands and they've said, the wife will say uh, something like, she'll use a lot of the, the term masculinity, masculine, masculine. Mm. And that would be a turnoff for him because the things that he's doing, even though they're not traditionally masculine, they feel masculine to him. Do you know what yeah. I mean? And so. I, it's not that the husband's the problem or the wife is a problem. There's something that's, I, I, I'm going to use this as an example. I'm holding up a cup because I know they can't see us. But what I'll, tell, what I'll tell a lot of my married couples to do is I'll say, okay, let's grab an object, anything around. That's a cup right now, right? And I'll say, we're going to turn this into the problem. So the problem is not me or you, our definitions of masculinity or femininity or, cult or you know, traditional roles in the household. The problem is I really don't like doing dishes. 
that's the problem. The dishes are the problem. Mm. So without defining whether it's traditional for me to do it or for you to do it, how do we come together and figure out a way where we can coexist peacefully and (laughs) deal with this dish problem? without identifying or labeling or do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Because a lot of times for people, when you go against what they believe is traditional or cultural or religious, even it shuts them up. It turns them off. Yes. And so if you just want them to agree with whatever your terminology is, whatever your label is, whatever your definition is, you're not going to get anywhere at the end of the day. But if you can focus on what you're feeling, right, the I statements, we call them, focus yeah. on what your needs are, what you're feeling, and come up with a solution to fix that problem. Does that make any sense? Not necessarily Absolutely. like roles. And so if you can approach it in that way, maybe it'll work. I'll tell you in my household, in the beginning, because we worked with a premarital counselor, which I highly recommend, even more so than reading a book. And I know people say, I, don't, I can't afford counseling. It's too expensive, whatever. There's a lot of great talk therapy. The good mm-hmm. news is that counseling is more accessible and more affordable. Yes. You don't even have to leave your house now. But anyways, <laughs> um, my husband and I, because we did premarital counseling, before we even jumped into the marriage, thankfully, we were able to kind of define what roles we felt safest and most comfortable taking. Mm -hmm. We didn't talk about whether they were traditional or not. We just talked about what roles we are okay with. Yes. What roles make us feel safe. Now, some of them to the broader culture might look traditional, right? Mm -hmm. Like I wanted to be the primary caregiver. Mm -hmm. I wanted him to carry the financial responsibility. Mm-hmm. That just happens to be a role that I was traditional with based on my strengths. I'm correct. <laughs> I like that. Caregiving. Same here. Same here. I didn't want the responsibility of paying for a mortgage or car mm-hmm. notes. Money gives me anxiety. I hate dealing with money. So mm-hmm. I was like, hey, you want to deal with the money? You're go right ahead. You want to deal with the budgeting and the bills? Great. Me, I like caregiving. I'm a nurturer. I like Mm -hmm. teaching. So for me, even though this is an example of maybe what society might see a traditional role, that wasn't what was important for us. It was what are our strengths? What are our weaknesses? And how do we define that in the marriage? Mm -hmm. And so that's how you, yeah, you're able to move forward when you see it as that and not, oh, she doesn't want to do this because it's typically a a guy thing or a girl thing or whatever. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That absolutely changes it. Once, once you start, and I think that this is just a life lesson in general. And I know that this challenges a lot of religious people, but once you start removing labels from things and just start addressing it head on as the object or the challenge in front of you, It completely alters the conversation and provides the freedom for everyone to really come together and understand what is actually going on and not worry so much about the, whatever sticker we stuck on that this time. Right. Cause you know, a lot of times too, and I've even seen it, especially in therapy, a lot of people act out family roles, right? Mm -hmm. So when we come, especially when, when we're in a relationship, we inherit 
blueprints from our parents, right? Mm -hmm. So I may have inherited a female blueprint or a motherly blueprint, right? And so I'm bringing that blueprint with me into a relationship. Mm -hmm. My husband inherited a fatherly a blueprint, a husband blueprint, you know, a manly blueprint from his dad, right? And so when I walk, if I walk into a room and my mindset is labeling, judging, assessing what's right or what's wrong, and I come, a, I come against a blueprint that my husband inherited that maybe he's proud of. Maybe it's part, maybe it's entwined in his identity. Maybe he sees it that I'm a, a, um, insulting his father or his mother or the way that they, you know, nurtured or reared their children or the way that they kind of presented or showed up in, in their family dynamic. That creates conflict. That creates an unsafe heart, right? Nobody wants to be judged. And I don't want you talking about my mama. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. My mom did X, Y, and Z. And you're telling me that that's unhealthy or toxic or wrong. And then we're not going to get anywhere, right? Because right. The, the heart has to feel safe in order to change and evolve, in order to listen, in order to empathize. And so that's why when, I, you know, a lot of times when I work with my clients, I'm like, let's just abandon any ideas of what's right or what's wrong. We all have our reasons, whether it's cultural, religion, socialization, family blueprint or dynamic for why we do and believe the things that we believe. But that doesn't matter. What matters at the end of the day is what are we trying to discover and uncover? What are we trying to solve? And what are we trying to do to bring us together? Because really the goal of any session is intimacy. When I work with couples, okay. it's intimacy. You know, how can we use this as an opportunity to bring you closer, to generate harmony or peace in your household for understanding? Yeah. And all of that goes back to the individual and the individual responsibility. Yes. Yes. And whether there's self-love, whether you're being nurtured, whether you have a self-awareness, whether you're sleeping or drinking enough water or there's enough time for rest or play or, you know, those things. That's why that's really the bedrock of everything yeah. is the self. Absolutely. It's the inner work, the inner work. It is the inner work. I think that that's a good place to end for our relationship podcast. Mm -hmm. I am very excited about talking to you about parenting and or just uh, nurturing in general, maybe. It needs to be a bigger yes. conversation, I think. Yes. We have to talk about parenting because parenting... Ooh, I know you get on I mean, fire about yeah. it. Well, God, don't get me started. No, parenting, it's just... I don't, I don't know if anything evolves like the human being <laughs> relationships more than parenting. Mm -hmm. Right. Yes. There, parenting is a whole other, I mean, nothing triggers us more. Nothing yeah. uh, allows us to experience love more. Parenting is, especially when it comes to the inner self yeah. and our own personal work, parenting, parenting yeah. is really about the parent. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, bro. Yeah, no problem. <laughs>